just going to state something really obvious this month. Christmas is messy. Christmas is messy. How many of you do a live Christmas tree? Anybody in here do a live Christmas? I don't. I'm just showing you how to raise your hand, I guess. <laughs> I don't do a live Christmas tree, but anybody who does a live Christmas tree knows that Christmas is messy. Right? We had one when I was a kid. We had one for one year. The house smelled great, but I tripped by the Christmas tree, and I, I got up, and I looked like a porcupine. And I was like, I was, this is not for me. Can we just have the fake tree, please? So you know that a live Christmas tree is messy. They should come with vacuum cleaners. And it's not just the tree. Once you get the tree up, you have to put lights on the tree. And Christmas lights are messy. Right? You have them for one year. They're new, and the box is great. But what happens once they're not new? They end up in this giant rat's nest. And you might as well just go buy new lights. Because even if you get them untangled, there is a 0% chance that they're going to work two years in a row. I mean, this is not going to happen. That would be a Christmas miracle. Leah and I bought 10 boxes of Christmas lights after Christmas this year. Brand new ones. There was a sale going on, and uh, there were boxes for a dollar. We bought 10 boxes. You know how many of those brand new boxes of Christmas lights worked when we went to put them on our tree? Two. Two. This is injustice, people. But it's not just the tree. It's not just the lights. There's so much about Christmas that's messy. In a few weeks, we're going to have the big day. You know what I'm talking about. That day's a mess. You're going to have wrapping paper everywhere. There's going to be boxes, tissue paper. Everyone's going to have tape on their socks. And if you have young kids, you know that you're going to have a lot of zip ties, plastic wrap, and like hermetically sealed things. Did you ever notice that like the difficulty of opening a package is exactly inverse to the age of a child. Like adult presents, no problem. You can only just tug on a piece of string and it's fully assembled. It's awesome. Kids' packages, you need a blowtorch to get into them. And that may not work either. I don't understand why this. Christmas is messy. But here's what I know about Christmas. The giving of the gift is worth the mess. The giving of the gift is worth the mess. I would decorate my tree a hundred days in a row with Christmas lights and have to go buy Christmas lights a hundred days in a, in a row to hear my son say, I like my Christmas. That's what he calls our Christmas tree, our Christmas. Every time he comes in the living room, that's what he says, I like our Christmas. It's worth it. And it's going to be so worth it to see my kids' faces on Christmas morning when they get their gifts, when they open it, the giving of the gift is always worth the mess that it makes. And here's what I want you to know. Here's what I want you to know. God feels the same way about you. God feels the same way about you. He's given us the gift of forgiveness, and it was messy. It was messy. We'll see that later this month. It cost God everything to give us that gift. And he said, you know what? You are worth it. That's what this series is about. Christmas is messy, but to God we're worth it. So that's what this series is about. Today I want to start by talking about this idea of expectations. Everybody has expectations and everybody's been disappointed by them from time to time. We just got done with Thanksgiving and uh, you all went somewhere to eat and your host had an expectation of how Thanksgiving would go. If your host's anything like my mom, she wanted it to be like a Norman Rockwell painting, right? Everybody's seated around this Thanksgiving table. There's 32 chairs on each side, 
right? The whole thing's lit by a bay window, and uh, somebody comes in carrying the turkey on a silver-covered platter, right? That's what the expectation of Thanksgiving is. Nobody eats like that, okay? If anybody actually ate like that, we wouldn't need a painting of it. But everybody has expectations, and everybody's been disappointed by expectations. Case in point is Clark Griswold. He wanted to provide a good old-fashioned family Christmas, didn't he? He got an impossibly big tree, a live one, by the way, Ben. He hung every Christmas light in the greater Chicagoland area. He had his family in. How much of it worked out for him? None of it. If you haven't seen the movie, as a spoiler, cover your ears. The tree broke a window and eventually caught on fire. He almost died trying to hang the Christmas lights. The turkey was dry, and his family kidnapped a guy. His good old-fashioned family Christmas just didn't work out. Everybody has expectations, and sometimes they aren't met. And unmet expectations are messy. Unmet expectations are just messy. Jewish people had expectations, too. They were waiting for a Messiah. They were waiting for a long-promised Messiah, and he was going to be a king who would sit on the throne of David forever. He was going to be a king who would sit on the throne of David forever. Do you have any idea how incredible the nation of Israel was under the leadership of King David? He did some incredible things. See, before David, it wasn't the nation of Israel, it wasn't a united kingdom. There was two separate kingdoms. There was Israel and there was Judah. And David brought them together. He reunited the nation of Israel. And if that's all he did, he would be celebrated through Jewish history for all generations. But that's not all he did. David did more than that. He secured the border of this united kingdom by defeating enemy after enemy. People you've heard of like the Philistines. Larry Chenard says it this way. He says, during the rule of David, Israel went from a divided kingdom to a united kingdom. And from a united kingdom to a united empire. David was a celebrated military commander, a politician, and man of God. And the people of Israel were waiting for a man like that. They said, it's going to be great. We are under Roman rule. We are occupied by the Romans, and our Messiah is going to kick out the Romans, and we will be a great empire once again. Our Messiah is going to secure our borders, and we'll be safe again. Our Messiah is going to have sons who will sit on his throne after him, and we will be safe and secure and united forever. That's what their expectations were. Let's take a look at what actually happened. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Here's what we read. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, she was still a virgin. She became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, he was a good man, and he didn't want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she'll have a son, and you're to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to his son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until the son was born. And Joseph named the boy Jesus. So, the people are expecting a a wise king to sit on the throne of David forever who will be powerful and kick out the Romans. And what they get is a baby from a teen mom and a carpenter. And it's kind of suspicious. And nobody really wants to talk about it in town because it's a little bit odd. Expectations in reality... They just aren't really matching up, are they? See, the people expected a king that would give them a better life. That's what they expected, a king that would give them a better life. But God gave a king who would bring eternal life. The people thought that their greatest problem was the Romans. But God knew that their greatest problem was sin. What's that one verse say? You know, the one that, the one that we all know It's in John somewhere says, this is how much God loves the world. He gave us his one and only son, that everybody who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. I want to make a few comments on this verse in regard to expectation. Here's the first one. God loves us enough to give us what we need and not just what we want. He loves us enough to give us what we need, not just what we want. I remember when I was little, uh, when I was less mature, I could have eaten pizza for every meal. Don't you say anything, Mike. I could have eaten pizza for every meal. But what I really needed on occasion was vegetables. I thought my parents were the worst. And they would make me sit at the table. The rest of my family is gone. They're down. They're doing whatever. But I had to sit at the table until I finished my peas or my green beans or my broccoli or worst case scenario, Brussels sprouts. I remember just having to sit at the table and just despising my parents for making me do it. Instead of eating warm vegetables, I'd always end up eating cold vegetables that were a little bit soggy, but I'd have to do it. Right? It wasn't that you know I could just sit there until bedtime and then go to bed. No, I'd, I'd sit there until the vegetables were eaten. So eventually I'd give in and just eat the stinking Brussels sprouts. And I do mean stinking Brussels sprouts. And I just thought my parents were the worst. I thought my parents were the worst for making me do that. You know who's right? You know who's right? Mom and Dad, if you're going to listen to this on the podcast later, I just want you to cover your ears for a minute before we go on, okay? I mean it, Mom. Cover your ears. My mom and dad were right. My mom and dad were right. My parents were right because they loved me enough to give me what I needed, not just what I wanted. The vegetables had. Turns out there's this thing called nutrients in them that are important for, like, healthy growth and all that stuff. And pizza is really apparently not all that good for you. But uh, they made me eat my vegetables. They loved me enough to make me do what was necessary, not just what was easy, not just what I wanted. God's the same way. He knew the Israelites wanted a strong nation. But in an eternal sense, that's just pizza for dinner. What's good, what's good about living in a strong, free country if you die apart from God? What's good about that if you die apart from God? 
Jesus posed the same question a little later in his ministry. He said, what good is it to gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul? God knew what the people wanted, but more importantly, he knew what humanity needed. Just remember that one verse again? Everyone who believes in him will not what? Will not perish. Why would we perish? Because of our sin. Because of our sin. And, you know, we could talk about this in a theological way and, uh, and get to a conclusion. We can still do that. We can have that conversation if you want after church or later this week. But, but I just want to really simply state some truth for you. That sin always leads to death. Sin always leads to death. And I'm not just talking about physical death. Physical death is a reality for everybody. But the, the real question with death is, how, how are you in God? How are you in God? And what sin does is it separates us from God. So if we die with sin, we die apart from God, and our souls will live without God. You know what, you know what an existence without God's called? Hell. To exist without God is called hell. Life without God or existence without God is something that we would beg every second of every day to be rid of. And none of us know what that's like. Even if we have friends or relatives, or even if uh, we don't believe ourselves, we don't know what it's like to exist without some semblance of God. We're still privileged to live in his world. We're still privileged to see the work of his hands. We still see the heavens that declare his glory. We still see God's goodness, and we still have the hope that comes from people who follow him. But life completely devoid of God would be an unimaginable horror. God knew what Israel's expectations were, but God knew what humanity's needs were. And he loves us enough to give us what we need and not just what we want. What we need is Jesus. What we need is Jesus. For the forgiveness of our sins, we need Jesus. For the gift of Holy Spirit, we need Jesus. And for reconciliation, for a restored relationship with God, we need Jesus. But our response to Jesus depends a lot on our expectations. We want Jesus to just make our lives better. We're missing the point. That's pizza for dinner. But if we want we want to get to know God. Jesus is the way. With the rest of our time, I want, to, I want to show you the birth of Jesus from two different perspectives and two sets of expectations. So uh, go ahead and open up your Bibles again to Matthew chapter 2, and we'll start there in verse 1. So it says that Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where's the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we've come to worship him. Now, king Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, and everybody in Jerusalem with him. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said. For this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. 
Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for this child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After the interview, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. And they entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. So the birth of Jesus from two different perspectives, two different sets of expectations. Let's start with Herod. <coughs> King Herod was, was a text say, deeply disturbed when he heard about Jesus. Why? Because he had an expectation that Jesus was going to be a military ruler who would threaten his own power, who would threaten his own rule. So Herod expected Jesus to be dangerous. Herod expected Jesus to be dangerous. He envisioned a bloody battle that ended in his death. But Herod didn't understand what Jesus actually came to do. Herod had no idea that Jesus, he wasn't born for a geographic victory. He was born to save the world. Herod didn't understand what Jesus was here to do. He may have misunderstood the Messiah, but Herod was right. Jesus is dangerous. Jesus is dangerous to selfishness. Jesus is dangerous to anybody whose first priority is themselves. Think about the life that Jesus calls us to live. Some of the things that he said. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Jesus said, if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, you have to be a servant. Jesus said, maybe most amazingly, if you want to be my disciple, you have to take up your cross daily and follow me. Taking up a cross in the first century world was vivid, vivid language because they'd seen people who had taken up a cross lining the streets on the way into Jerusalem. They knew what it meant. So Jesus is dangerous. He's dangerous to selfishness. So when he focuses you, Jesus will always be a threat. So Herod was right. Jesus is dangerous. Now I want to look at a completely different response. This is a response of the wise men. It says this, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. And that time, some of the wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his stars at Rose and we've come to worship him. Let's skip down to verse 9. After this interview, the wise men went their way and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy, and they entered the house and saw the child and his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasure chests and gave him the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, I don't know exactly what the wise men expected to find, but I know what they expected to do. They expected to worship a king. They expected to worship a king. Now, they may have thought about a great king born in a beautiful castle, but somehow, I just don't think so. I don't think that's what their expectation was. You see, these wise men came from eastern lands, what the text says. They understood something about Jesus. They understood that Jesus' birth was going to be universally significant, not just geographically important. And they came to worship this universally important king. 
I don't know what you feel about God when you come here today. Maybe you're just visiting family around Christmas time and they drug you to church. Maybe you're giving God one final chance before you throw in the towel on faith. Maybe you've been coming to church every Sunday for 50 years and nothing would keep you away. I just want you to know something. Jesus was born for all of you. If you don't want to give God a chance, if you're giving God his last chance, or if you are fully devoted to God, Jesus is for all of you. Jesus lived for all of you, and Jesus died for all of you. He's not important for somebody else. He's important for all of us. I know that we live in a world that has all kinds of expectations of Jesus, many of them not fair, but let me tell you what you can expect. Let me tell you what you can expect from God, what you can expect from Jesus. First of all, expect that he's worthy of your praise. Expect that he'll change your life and expect that he loves you. You can expect those things. Expect that he loves you in all of your hurt, in all of your selfishness, in spite of your mess. God loves you. And he went to the most extraordinary lengths to prove it. Let's pray. God, we come before you and we confess that in our own ways, we're all kind of messy. And we all need you. So God, we ask that you would help us. If there's anybody here today who needs you for the forgiveness of their sins, for the gift of your Holy Spirit, God, would you give them the courage to come forward and say that to these people and in this room full of people? God, if there's any of us who need to refocus our lives on you, would you help us to do that? And God, as we leave here today, would you give us the wisdom, the compassion, and the boldness to be your servants in this world? We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.